going to read from uh, 2 Chronicles, chapter 5. It's on page 440, if you want to follow. 2 Chronicles, chapter 5. Just to give you um, the setting of this, um, the temple has been uh, rebuilt, or built, it's been consecrated, and uh, what's happening is the priests and all the people are gathering, gathering together in the wor- to worship God um, and, and to praise him. It's the first time they've come together all as one people. I'm going to start from verse 11. The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves, regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jedithon, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. We have cymbals here, we have harps occasionally, and lies are kind of guitars, so we've got that covered. They're accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. Hannah has a trumpet from time to time. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, his love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us in these next few minutes, that you would renew our vision of worship, and we pray for our our church and for us as individuals that we would truly be uh, a church which honours you in our worship, in services and outside of services. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our vision statement. This is who we are as a church, that we are a community of disciples seeking to witness to Jesus and serve him in West Bridgeford and beyond. And worship is at the heart of that. Worship is central to that vision. What is worship? What would be a definition of worship? Um, I love this definition. This is an old definition. This is a definition from 1828 from Webster's Dictionary. And it says this. Worship is to honour with extravagant love and extreme submission. I love that definition because it's, it's from, you know, over 100 years ago. And yet it kind of chimes in with that very contemporary expression of why do we sing? Why do we worship? It's the same kind of language. Extravagant love extravagant love and extreme submission. To worship is to give God glory, to praise him. Uh, The Hebrew word uh, for glory is connected to the Hebrew word for weight, as in heaviness, uh, solidity. And there's a sense, a very real sense in in the kind of Hebrew language of, of when you have a glimpse of God's glory, you have a sense of his weightiness. You have a sense of who he really is. And to to worship God, to give him glory, to give him praise, is to declare the weight of who he is. His love, his mercy, his creativity, the joy that is found in him, the peace that is found in him, the strength that is found in him. 
when we meet together, we sing not just because we like singing songs, but because we've come to give glory to God, to, to feel a sense of his weight, to glimpse his glory, to have a sense yet again of who he is and what he has done for us. In our vision statement, we talk about being a, a community of disciples. That's the thing that sets us apart from any other group uh, that meet, that we are disciples of Jesus. Other groups in West Bridgeford meet to sing. There's choirs. Other groups meet to come and play music together. There's music uh, groups. Other groups uh, come together to do good in their community. There's groups like the Friary and, and that kind of thing. Other groups seek to um, help moral transformation and people to become better people. There's counselling uh, services. And those are all features of our life in in our church together. But the thing that makes a Christian church different from all the other communities that meet together is that a Christian church is a gathered community of disciples of Jesus. Remember um, two weeks ago when I spoke on this, I told the story of Philip. Philip who goes to Nicodemus and he says, we have found the one. We have found the one. We have found Jesus Christ. We have found the Messiah. We have found the one who we are waiting for. Paul, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, writes of Jesus, and he says, In him all the fullness of God dwelt. In him was the full weight of God, if you like. In him, in Jesus, God is perfectly revealed. In him, his glory is most perfectly displayed. Perfectly displayed in a manger. Perfectly displayed on a cross. Perfectly displayed in an empty tomb. You can't read uh, the story of Jesus in the Gospels without coming across worship again and again and again. Jesus said this about worship. The Father is seeking worshippers. Those who worship him in spirit and in truth. God is looking for worshippers. It's not just that we've decided we want to come together and we want to sing a few songs about God and we like to do it in this kind of way and people who come at the nine o'clock, they like to do it in that kind of way and people who come to even so they like to do it in that kind of way. That's too small a vision of worship. Jesus said, God, our Heavenly Father, he's, he's looking for worshippers. He's seeking worshippers. He's, he's looking to see where they are, and he's wanting them to worship him in, in spirit and in truth. In spirit, to meet with his spirit, to experience his presence, to encounter him in worship. And in truth, that worship has to be grounded and founded upon truth, the truth of who God is and who we are in him. When the wise men come to the manger and they see the babe there, what do they do? They fell down and they worshipped him. What did people uh, cry out to Jesus when they saw him passing by in the streets? Lord, save us. A cry of worship. What did the disciples say when there was the stilling of the storm? You remember the story, there's a great storm blows up and Jesus walks to the disciples and, and he calms the storm and he rescues them. They worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. What did Doubting Thomas say when he met the risen Christ in that upper room with the other disciples? 
They'd seen him before. Thomas hadn't been there. He said, I just need to, just need to see him. Just need to see him. I just need to see his, his hands and his feet and the wound in his side. I just, just need to see him. And suddenly there is Jesus in the midst. And worship pours forth. My Lord and my God. What did they do when Jesus was going to leave them, when he was going to ascend into heaven? We read that they worshipped him. Worship is central to being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Worship is central to who we are um, as a church. And the key thing in worship to enable our worship is not that we get the screens right and we get the music right and all the atmosphere is right and everything's kind of just set up just nicely. I mean, that helps. That's important. That, that helps us to get things uh, the right kind of atmosphere. But the key thing is that we see Jesus. That we see Jesus. Because as we see him, we respond to him. And the response is to worship and to adore and to recommit ourselves. That's what you see in the life of Thomas. So three things about worship, thinking about worship, that you might not have, you might not have thought about before or, or considered before. Three things to help you think about worship and the importance of worship, uh, perhaps in a slightly different way. First is this. Worship earths us. It grounds us. It grounds us as people, as Christians. It, it earths us, it grounds us as a community, a church um, community. That church up there, I didn't just choose that at random. That's a particular church. That's an, uh, an Orthodox church in a place called uh, Centralia in Pennsylvania. And Centralia in Pennsylvania has been in the news um, a little bit um, recently. In the kind of late 80s, early 90s, um, uh, Centralia was a, a, a thriving town in America. Small town, town of about 1,000 people, but you know, hustling, bustling uh, community. Uh, the main industry was coal mining. There was a big coal mine nearby. Lots of people in the town worked in the coal mine or, or in industries which supported um, the coal mine. In the early uh, 90s, there was a, an underground fire. And I didn't know you could have these, but you can. Um, a fire that burnt in the coal mine and spread through the coal mine. And all the, all the coal kind of burnt up in there. Incredibly dangerous, incredibly difficult to put out. Uh, the U.S. government spent millions of dollars trying to put out this fire, and they couldn't, they couldn't get to it, they couldn't put it out, and the fire just ran and ran and ran through the, through the coal mine and then on through other the kind of rock uh, strata. And the coal mine went under the town of Centralia, so all this kind of stuff was, was burnt up. And it made the ground unsafe. And so what happened is they sent surveyors in to look at the buildings, look at the shops, look at the schools, look at the houses... And they had to condemn all of the buildings of Centralia. The government bought up all the property, and there's the largest kind of peacetime evacuation that there's been in US history. And they moved 1,000 people out as they condemned homes and schools and factories and businesses because they were unsafe because their foundations uh, were weak. There's only seven people now who live in Centralia, but there's still a church there. There's still that church. That church is in the middle of that community. And when they did the, uh, when they did the survey, they surveyed the foundations of the church, and they discovered that, in contrast to everywhere else, it was fine. 
It was actually built on solid rock. There was, there was no need for it to be condemned. It could, it could stand. And it was an Orthodox church, and the Orthodox bishop said, we will keep this church open, and we'll provide a priest for this church, because this town needs to know that when all else fails, God is secure. And the people moved out. They moved out to neighboring towns, neighboring cities all around. A lot of them had gone to that church. Every Sunday still, 10 years later, they travel back. They still worship. There'll be 100 people worshiping there today. Uh, they have coffee and donuts too, I was pleased to see uh, in, the, in the report. They meet up afterwards. They shop stories. They catch up. And then they, they go off back uh, to their communities. Worship earths us. Worship grounds us. Worship reminds us who we are. As we sing the songs about God, as we sing the songs about Jesus, as we read his words, as we share testimonies with one another, we're earthed, we're grounded, we're rooted in who God is. So worship earths us. The other thing that worship does is it shapes us. We're being shaped all the time. We're being shaped by stories all of the time. I've got a teenage daughter, Lily. She's um, 13. Um, She loves singing. She loves drama. She goes to theatre club. Um, She'd love to be a a professional kind of singer. She'd love to be in musicals, that kind of thing. She lives for X Factor. You know, woe betide anybody if they try and put something else on TV when X Factor um, is on. And there's, of course, there's a story to X Factor, isn't there? There's a narrative to X Factor, and the story of X Factor is this. If you want it hard enough, if you believe in yourself, if you try and try and try, and if you believe in your dreams, then you will get there, and you will be a superstar. That's the story of X Factor. And, of course, it's a lie, Because every year, hundreds of thousands of teenage girls enter into X Factor. And hundreds of thousands of teenage girls are disappointed. But the story is told again and again and again. If you want it hard enough, if you believe in yourself, you will get there. I don't want my daughter to be shaped alone by the story of X Factor. There's other stories in our community about what it means to be a a perfect husband, what what it means to be a great mum, what it means to be successful. There's all of those stories going on as well. And all of those stories, they all shape us. They all mould us. They all control us. There is a greater story. There is a better story. And it's a story that we tell every Sunday. It's a story that we sing every week. It's the gospel story. It's the Christian story. It's a story that says to my teenage daughter, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter whether you get great grades or whether you get terrible grades. It doesn't matter if you believe in yourself or if you don't believe in yourself. You are loved. You are created by one who loves you. You are made for a purpose. You're loved by one who loves you regardless of everything else. You're loved by one who believes in you. You're loved by one who wants you to believe in him and trust in him. I want my daughter to have that story in her heart and in her mind, shaping her life as she, as she grows up and becomes a young woman. 
I want you to be shaped by the Christian story. If you're wrestling with being a perfect mum or perfect husband or being successful, I want your idea of success to be defined by the gospel. That being successful is about being faithful to Christ. That your worth comes from not what you do or the relationships you have or the, the amount that you earn, but your value comes from what has been given for you. And God gave his son for you. Our worship shapes us. Thirdly and finally, our worship strengthens us. One of the things I do here at St. Giles is I lead a monthly uh, prayer breakfast, uh, men's prayer breakfast. Any men here who don't, don't come already, you'd like to come along, you're welcome to join us. Just grab me afterwards or send me an email. Uh, we'll let you know the details. And what we do is we meet each week, or each month, sorry, we have a breakfast together, we do a short Bible study, we pray for each other. And we're, at the moment, we're looking at the story of Nehemiah. And we're looking at the story, and in the story, uh, Nehemiah, uh, he lives in Israel at a time when Jerusalem has been destroyed, the temple has been flattened, um, the walls of Jerusalem have been laid low, the people have been scattered and sent into exile. And Nehemiah is charged by rebuilding the walls, so that then they can rebuild the homes, people can be safe, and then they'll be able to again rebuild the temple. And just as they start, just as they get going, uh, they get some news. And the news is your enemies are coming. That the enemies of Israel are gathering, an army is being formed, they're going to come in and they're going to kill you. And they get a message, and the message is come home, leave the walls, leave Jerusalem, chuck down your tools, come home and be safe. Just leave it. And Nehemiah gathers the people together in Jerusalem in the midst of the rubble. And he says this, Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight. Fight for your wives, fight for your children, fight for your homes. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Feel his weightiness. Have a sense of how big he is, how powerful he is, how awesome he is. And in the light of that revelation, then fight. Don't run away, don't hide, then fight. As we come together in worship, as we encounter God afresh, we are strengthened. You are fighting battles, I know you are because I talk to you each week. Some are like skirmishes, some are like a full-on onslaught. Battles with anxiety, battles with physical illness, battles with mental illness, uh, family struggles, financial struggles, all of those battles. I, I, I share in them too. What do we do in the midst of battle? What do we do when we just want to run away, chuck, chuck it all in, leave well alone? Remember the Lord, who is awesome and great, and fight. As we gather together for worship, as we sing about who God is, as we read the story in the Bible of who God is, as we share testimonies of what God has done in our life, we receive new hope, new strength, new faith. That we will go on back into those battle situations, and that we will fight Sometimes we'll be on the offensive and sometimes we'll be on the defensive and sometimes we'll just stand. The important thing is that we do that secure in who God is and who we are 
in him. That he watches over us. That he knows the hairs on our head. That he sees the beginning and he sees the end and he knows everything in the middle. That he will protect us. That he will watch over us. That he will not allow us to fall. Worship earths us. That's why it's important. That's why it's important that you come, not because it gives me a kick because I see a nice room full of people, but it, it earths us. Worship shapes us. So we're in the context of worship week by week by week. We're shaped, we're formed uh, by the story of who God is. And worship strengthens us. So we end where we begin. We are a community of disciples seeking to witness to Jesus and serve him in West Bridgeford and beyond. And worship is at the heart of who we are. Let's pray and then the band will come up and lead us. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would always be a worshipping community, a worshipping church. Help us to, uh, to honour you in the different ways that we do worship. And Lord, give us a sense of your presence in in all of our services. That this wouldn't be just a mere human activity, but a time when we meet with you. In Jesus' name, amen.